Kamala Harris goes to Dubai to talk about climate change and the fact that we need to reestablish the Palestinian Authority, Pramila Jayapal wants you to know Me Too matters unless you're a Jew. And The Atlantic has a new piece out letting you know that inflation is your fault. And could the key to a Biden second term be Taylor Swift? We break down an opinion piece from The Hill. All of it today on the Palmetto Family Matters Show. We've got all of that coming your way today, plus a conversation happening today with Jody Hendricks from New Mexico talking about that story we had on Friday with the satanic abortion ritual. We'll get into a little bit more detail with her on that today. Looking forward to that conversation in just a few minutes. But let's start with the vice president, as we should. Let's let's start with the people that matter. Wink. Kamala Harris dealt with two issues in Dubai, and those two issues are two issues of great importance. They're two issues that when you here. when you think about the two issues, what's important to understand about issues... Sorry. She's talking about climate change and Gaza. Both of those things, she's playing to her party's younger demo. Because mm. if you talk to young liberals, if you talk to young leftists, which, by the way, I'm springing this on him, I hope to be doing that when the new semester starts at the University of South Carolina by just standing on the corner of the street. Justin loves and, a good man on the street. And just piece. asking questions. I, I am I am efforting in putting those questions together. It will be a long editing process, but it is a sacrifice that I am willing to make. She's playing to the younger demographic, back to the point. Because if you ask a young liberal or a young leftist what is the biggest issue in facing the United States of America today, they will either say the dirty, nasty Christians or the dirty, nasty air. Climate and change the evil sun. or Christians. And the evil sun. So she talks about climate change. She talks about Gaza as well. Uh, she did say that Israel has the, quote, right to eliminate the threat of Hamas. But then hedges... Too many innocent Palestinians have been killed. Frankly, the scale of civilian suffering and the images and videos coming from Gaza are devastating. I I, I know of some video from Israel that might be of interest to you, madam. Um, we'll get into that in a second. She actually had remarks with Lloyd Austin, who, if you didn't know, was the Secretary of Defense. She spoke at a National Defense Forum in Simi Valley, California. Actually, he did. Sorry. Austin warned Israel's leaders that if they don't protect civilians in Gaza, they could win the battle but lose the war. Okay, then, Secretary, you explain to me what Israel is supposed to do. You're trying to eliminate... Are you, are you willing to tell me that the United States has never killed an innocent civilian in combat? We certainly want to avoid it. And I don't you want to that, avoid it at all costs, but it's a cost of war. I'm and sorry. I, I don't know that Israel is intentionally going into Gaza They're to not. kill innocent civilians. In fact, They're I would not. argue the exact opposite. I think they have over and over again given opportunity um, to women and children, and, and men for that matter, who are innocent in this conflict. They've given them the opportunity to flee southward, northward, toward the border, and you know, it, it, it's it's 
mind-boggling to me how American um, strategists, wink, wink, nod, nod, right. um, can speak so uh, flippantly and um, errantly. And arrogantly. Yeah, and arrogantly in regard to this uh, conflict between Israel and Hamas. Um, It's almost as if they've begun to believe the propaganda that they've so eagerly proliferated. Right. Hmm. Here's here's something else that you might find of interest as she's speaking. She was speaking in Dubai, meeting with Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi, sorry, uh, King Abdullah of Jordan and Mohammed bin Zayed, the president of the UAE. Um, and she spoke by phone to Qatar's Emir, Sheikh Tamim, uh, bin Hamad Al Thani. Did she ask him about why they're housing Hamas's leaders in Qatar? Did she happen to broach that topic? I wonder. Here's, here's what got me. She said the goal was to build regional consensus and accelerate plans for Gaza after the fighting stops, citing five principles guiding the U.S. approach. These are the five principles, the five pillars, if you will, of the Biden administration's approach. Oh, uh, dear. Sorry. (laughs) Yes, it did. No forcible displacement. No reoccupation. No siege or blockade. No reduction in territory. No use of Gaza as a platform for terrorism. Okay, madam, that sounds great. Sure. She said that the international community needed to pour resources into rebuilding hospitals, housing, and infrastructure. Are they going to do that themselves? Who's Who governs Gaza? Who's the government in Gaza? Who's been elected since 2006? Uh, is it Hamas? It's Hamas. Okay. Because Israel left the Gaza Strip in 2006. I think there's a lot of people screaming, don't blame me right now. Um, yeah. She reiterated that the United States wants to see Gaza and the West Bank unified and governed by a transparent, responsive government led by a strengthened Palestinian authority. The Palestinian Authority has a pay-for-slay program in which they have given over $15 million to Palestinians for killing Jews. Why? Because they're Jews. Because they're Jews. Wow. Uh, Really quickly, she also announced a $3 billion pledge to help developing nations on climate. Well, you know, there there are things like um, climate change that are super important. You know, I, I, just, a, just a thought. I know that in some cities in America, when it gets hotter, crime rates go up. Perhaps because the planet is getting warmer, the crime rates conflict up. and War is breaking out. It's a great. It's a great war. We. Have I would argue on. the reason she's doing this is she because knows this a, all too well. Because an, an NPR PBS News Marist poll from the summer found that nearly six in ten millennial and Gen Z Americans believe that addressing climate change should be a priority, even at the risk of slowing economic growth, like the Inflation Reduction Act, which didn't do that at all. It was the Green New Deal labeled the Inflation Reduction Act, and a bunch of squishy Republicans went along with it in the Senate. And here we sit. Climate, listen, this whole idea of climate change and it's the evil sun god that is going to destroy Mother Earth. Is the planet getting warmer? Maybe. I thought it was pretty chilly a couple days ago. But I know some of you are going to scream at me about that. Here's, Here's the problem. Here's the problem. I've been told by AOC, who is a renowned climate expert, that we have 12 years left. That was, what, four years ago? Yeah. So we're time's a ticking. 
I've been told by St. Greta of the Blessed Sailboat that we have even less time. And that if we're not careful, the world will cease to exist as we know it. So we have a significant, significant hill to climb when it comes to getting people to understand that the evil sun might not be the biggest problem we face. Perhaps the biggest problem we face as we pour billions of dollars into developing nations in regards to their climate initiatives is that the biggest drivers of quote-unquote man-made climate change are not the United States. Maybe we should just get back to December where it's like 55 degrees for the high and, you know, and I know that's all part of the way seasons work. I, I get it. Um, and, and there is something, I, I'm not going to say that there aren't warming effects and that sort of thing. And I know I just turned off half of our audience. Mm -hmm. Perhaps it's cyclical. Perhaps it's part of the way design works. And perhaps it's all part of God's design for the planet. Um, that we go in these circles. Have, have there been ice ages? Yes, there have been ice ages. Are we leaving one like, of those? Like are Sid we, the Sloth. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but are we all going to die as a result of too much um, cow, cow methane in the air? Not in your wildest dreams. We move on to Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. As she was on State of the Union. Trust me, they're going to get a little more finer as this who does goes State along. of the Union now? Dana Bash? Is that who does State of the Union now on CNN? It used to be Jake Tapper. Is it even on? I think it's Dana Bash. We'll find out here in just a second. I'll see her on the screen. Here is Dana Bash asking Pramila Jayapal a very simple question. Madam, women progressives like yourself have spoken out about violence against women and sexual violence against women. Why can you not do that right now? Why haven't you done it to this point regarding what's happened in Israel? If you have children around you who are listening, here's your warning. This is a sensitive topic for the next probably five or six minutes. You might want to push them out of the room for a second or hit pause and come back to it later. Here's Congresswoman Jayapal being a rabid anti-Semite instead of being a part of the Me Too movement. It's kind of remarkable that this issue hasn't gotten enough attention uh, globally, widespread use of rape, uh, brutal rape, sexual violence against Israeli women by Hamas. Um, I've seen a lot of progressive women, generally speaking, they're quick to defend women's rights and speak out against using rape as a, as a weapon of war, but downright silent on what we saw on October 7th and what might be happening inside Gaza right now to these hostages. Why is that? I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that that's true. I think we, we always talk about the impact of war on women in particular. In fact, I remember 20 years ago, I did a petition around the war in Iraq. Have you said, saying have that, you talked about it since oh, October absolutely. 7th? And I've condemned what Hamas has done. I've condemned Specifically all of women? the actions. Absolutely, the, the rape, the, of course. But I think we have to remember that Israel is a democracy. That is why they are a strong ally of ours. And if they do not comply with international humanitarian law, they are bringing themselves to a place that makes it much more difficult strategically for them yeah. to be able to build the kinds of allies to keep public opinion yeah. with them. And frankly, uh, morally, I think we cannot say that one war crime deserves another. That is not what international humanitarian with, with, law says. Okay, with, with respect, I was just asking about the 
the women and you turned it back to Israel. I'm asking you about Hamas, in fact. I already answered your question, Dana. I, I said it's horrific, and okay. I think that rape is horrific, sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. Mm -hmm. However, I think we have to be balanced about bringing in the outrages against Palestinians. Yeah. 15,000 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli airstrikes, three quarters of whom and it's, are women and children. And it's horrible. But so there's a lot to break down there. Uh, I will I will give you a note that Pramila Jayapal tweeted on October 7th of 2018, the hashtag MeToo movement is powerful and leaving some survivors' experiences behind. There is no justice until we empower all survivors, not just those in the public eye. Understand something, and we've asked the children to be removed from the from the audience. So I have that I have this freedom now to be careful in how we deal with this subject. On October 7th, Hamas terrorists not only killed women, children and men, they raped women and children brutally. And, and then killed and bragged them. about it. That, and they, bragged they about recorded it, it, videoed it, recorded it, shot them, didn't care. There are stories, you can go read them if you want to. I don't encourage it, but you, yeah. you you have the right to make your own decisions about what news you intake. Mitch made the point when we were watching that off camera. For once, I agree with Dana Bash, and that, that will probably only happen twice more in the next decade. It, I agree with Pramila Jayapal in that one war crime does not excuse another, but Israel hasn't committed any war crimes. Right. Israel's not going into civilian areas of, of Gaza and raping women and children. That's not happening. They are eliminating strategically terrorist strongholds in Gaza, and it's the Hamas terrorists who have housed them in hospitals and schools right. and mosques and Any, synagogues. Anytime and a mosque has a weapons cache, not 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 it's not, not a, a mosque. Anymore. Well, it's not a solo mosque. It, yeah. it, it's it's yeah. dual operation. Yeah. And at that point, Anyth under the Red Cross, it is now a military installation. Anytime that a hospital has torture chambers or a weapons cache, yep, or um. You know, what they're doing, what Hamas has done, and they've taken a page right out of Saddam's playbook and others just like him, it's it's cowardly, it's yeah. it's ridiculous, and, and but that's 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 what Israel's having to deal with. And people in the what do we call them now? The Hamas caucus. I call him the Hamas caucus. The the squad, um, the representative from Washington here is buying into the non sequitur that one war crime doesn't excuse or negate or another stop because israel has has killed innocent civilians it, it in the course of war sad, sadly that happens in the course of war that is not their intent it can unfortunately cannot be helped mm -hmm. when weapons caches, terror facilities, supply chain tunnels. I mean, some of the bikes, I don't know if you saw the videos, some of the bikes, uh, motorcycles, dirt bikes, that Hamas used to fly in, to, specifically to the... Um, 
the, the music, music festival, festival yep. snatch and grab mm-hmm. and get out were found in the basement of a terror facility N- n- no. Um, uh, a bad guy's house? No. In a hospital? They were found in the basement of a hospital. Yeah. Now, I know there are those out there saying, well, that's not true. That stuff didn't really happen. Israel's making it all up. But Israel, on, on October the 7th, Israel was attacked. It was not a false flag attack. It was not uh, something of their own doing. It was an attack, an unprovoked uh, unprovoked attack by Hamas against the people, nation, territory of Israel. Period. There's a there's a significant lack of understanding here, and, and I think it's I think it's grossly pur- purposeful by Pramila Jayapal. Um, she tries to, and this is what they do, this is what they all do right now, everything that Hamas did, well, Israel, it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's the, it's the, well, 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 Tommy did it, you know, that kind of thing. And to Dana Bash's credit, she says, you know, the IDF's not going in and raping women. There's not, yeah. they're just not. Uh, we have some who are wild and crazy who are saying that none of these things have happened. Yeah, they're just figments of your imagination, or they're things they're that made the, up. The Mossad and 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 the Israeli government, the IDF, yeah. they're just making it up. Yeah. it's 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 deep fakes. Uh, yeah, you need to calm down. We need to look. We, what we need to do, and what we've been unable to do now is uh, for a while, is. We need to look evil in the face and call it for what it is. Yeah. And hopefully our leadership will eventually do that. There's a lot of bad blood out there. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, my goodness. Let's let's go now. <laughs> he picked up on what I'm still doing. Let's, let's go now. We're happy to be joined by the executive director from the Family Policy Group in New Mexico. Ms. Yes. Jody Hendricks joins us on the program to talk about some satanic abortion rituals, which is always a joy to talk about. So let's hear from Ms. Hendricks. J- Jody, great to have you on the program with us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Of course. Jody, we are so grateful that you're on the Palmetto Family Matters show today. You and I were uh, together back in, I believe, July in Palm Beach for the National uh, Policy Conference there. Uh, you, the, you're you uh, leader of a family policy council in the land of enchantment. And I'm sure there are signs that say, welcome to the state that is the land of enchantment. However, you told me about some other signs. Tell our listeners, tell those watching about those signs that you told me about in July. Well, unfortunately, at every entry point into the state of New Mexico, we have welcome signs that say, welcome to New Mexico, welcome to the land of enchantment. But every single one of them has an additional phrase that says where abortion is still legal or where your reproductive rights are protected or things like that. Every entrance into our state has some kind of phrase added to our welcome sign that says abortion is legal. I think that's because South Carolina and New Mexico were kind of in the same spot for a while. and We found a remedy to ours. Uh, we were abortion destination states. And I know that you have California just to the west of you. Of course, you have to get through Arizona to do that. But, you know, states where you're kind of surrounded by uh, states where they have stronger, tighter, more restrictive laws on abortion. Is that correct? Right, 
Yeah, yeah, especially Texas. We have a uh, so in New Mexico, we have our abortion tourism is through the roof, unfortunately, <laughs> and we see most women um, coming from Texas uh, because of the um, the guidelines in Texas that they have to follow. So they're all flocking to New Mexico to get their abortion taken care of. And and so our signs say smiling faces, beautiful places. I. <laughs> It's a great day I in find, South Carolina. I find that to be nice. more enjoyable. Uh, oh, maybe, yes. maybe it's maybe it's the southeast in us. Um, <laughs> Friday on the you show, know, I would agree with you. I would much rather have signs about smiles than you know these signs that really, really it sets the tone for New Mexico and what we've yeah. seen as the culture of death that has yeah. really kind of taken a grip of our state. It certainly does. Uh, we talked about this on our show on Friday, specifically the speaking of a culture of death. Yeah, the Satanic Temple, which I've been told reliably they don't worship Satan. <clears throat> so let's just dispel of that rumor. Uh, they do. So the Satanic Temple has opened a an abortion clinic, Samuel mm-hmm. Alito's mom's abortion clinic, which ha 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 funny. Um, I suppose dark humor, uh, for for those guys and gals. So they opened this clinic, and specifically Cosmo, Cosmopolitan magazine, which I don't encourage anyone to read, but they put out an article about the the satanic abortion ritual that mm-hmm. this clinic is proliferating, mm-hmm. and and how it is influencing even this. In this case, it was this woman who's named. Jessica in the article has three children, but apparently didn't want the fourth one and stared at herself through a piece of broken glass and felt empowered uh, to mm-hmm. make her own autonomous bodily decision. Right. How how is it from your perspective working in a family policy group in New Mexico where you called it a culture of death mm-hmm. as you see a new level now? Again, we talked about it, safe, legal, and rare, to shout your abortion, now to it's satanic, it's a ritual, it's like our communion or Eucharist for them. Mm-hmm. How do you combat that every day? Mm-hmm. How, what is that like living there and working in that, trying to uh, advocate change? Yeah, it's really difficult. It is definitely not for the faint of heart here in New Mexico, um, because we see that, like I said, it's this culture of death. And so we're not having to fight our battles just with policy. We are definitely having to work on on reaching hearts and minds. And so our organization, New Mexico Family Action Movement, has actually uh, been partnering with our pregnancy centers all across the state to try to provide great resources for them, to try to help um, just what they're doing in the community and their outreach and our community outreach. So we've really upped our game in our community outreach, trying to showcase what we call showcasing hope in the community, uh, because we have to be able to reach hearts and minds. If we're going to combat this culture of death, which really comes down to individuals getting to make their choice and being all about themselves and their autonomy and that kind of thing, well, then we have to reach them in the recess of their own mind and heart um, to somehow be able to show them that there are other options. Because what we've learned, you know, 90% of women who realize that they have more choices, right, they have something, an option other than ending that pregnancy, they choose to parent. And so we just have to be able to get out there and reach 
hearts and minds. And so that's what we're doing. It's definitely um, more individually based. It's more community based rather than, you know, going to our capital and just, you know, fighting for policy that could try to get rid of this. Of course, we continue that fight, but our strategy has to really be focused on our communities and our hearts and minds. Jody, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, you know, we often talk about how uh, government informs the culture, culture informs the government and that vicious cycle. You know, one of the things that our movement has been accused of for some time is that we always tell people what we're against instead of what mm-hmm. we are for. And I think the beauty of that approach, as is our approach here at Palmetto Family, is to boldly proclaim not only that we stand against certain things, but more boldly, more more loudly that we are for life. We are for uh, hope, as you so wonderfully said there. You know, I can't stand it. And and I know this has been said of you when people say, well, you're not really pro-life. You're really just pro-birth. You're not for the child after it's born. No, no, we are from, uh, we are for that human being from the moment of conception to natural death and at yes. every stage in between, I just I just want to stop and say thank you. And mm-hmm. for those of you out there listening who are standing for life, for life, thank you, mm-hmm. thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, you know, at the end of this piece, before we before we let you go, uh, this Cosmo piece, which we didn't actually read the whole thing on air, and I'm just kind of perusing it. We wouldn't abuse we our speak. listeners that way. No. <laughs> people say that people say this isn't religious and you know they're saying the same thing about the whole Hamas Israel war going on right now it's not religious it's a land conflict and that's just patently not true they're also saying that the abortion issue isn't actually religious and you shouldn't allow your religious dogma to live loudly within you uh <clears throat> now now passed away uh senator from the state of California but this is interesting uh this person at the end of the article says it gives us a bit of a David versus Goliath impact regarding this cultural periphery work to protect reproductive freedom through the satanic temple uh, for and their abortion clinic. We are able to sneak in at the right moment and shoot with our sling. Now, I I find that interesting. Um, again, I, we missed the part of this. We, we missed the part of the story in first Samuel where David's fighting on behalf of the God of Israel. Is mm-hmm. that a, a Never mind. Uh, maybe the analogy falls apart. But in this sort of context, we're supposed to kind of separate our private religious interpretation with our public political work. That's what President Biden says he does now. Your advice to folks who say who who believe deep down within them, like Sandra Day O'Connor did again, recently passed away. So I'm trying not to besmirch the dead, but said, you know, a, inside my own body. Abortion is is really bad, but when given the opportunity to roll back Roe in the Casey decision, she goes against that. Mm. So you have people even now who say, I'm against abortion, but I can't do anything about it in public because it's really not my decision. Mm. Your advice to folks who seemingly want to keep their religious views separate from their personal public work. Well, honestly, I don't see how you can. Um, you know, for me, my faith is is the core of who I am, and it's it directs everything that I do. And so, when you talk about you know religious beliefs and and then what you do um, as a career, you know, whether it's political or whether you're you know you're a dentist or whatever you might be doing, um, 
that you can't separate them. Your, your faith determines what you do. And so um, these people who are trying to say, you know, well, I really do feel this way. My faith would say this, but I'll never say that out loud. I'll never direct that. Well, how are we going to reach hearts and minds if we never share with them the passion behind why we believe what we believe or the passion behind why we fight so strongly for life? Um, and so my advice is really go maybe have a, have a moment to kind of reset and check yourself to say, what is it that you truly believe? What is driving you in that belief? And is it really okay to separate the two? Because I really don't see how we can. Now, that doesn't mean that from a, let's say from my political platform that I'm going to go and I'm going to try to preach the gospel, right? I, I know that there's a time and a place for me to be able to, to share that. But I guarantee you that in that political platform, I will never be saying or doing anything that is contrary to that gospel message, because that's my belief. And I cannot operate um, opposite of my belief. And so that's really the advice that I would give to people who are trying to separate the two. Say, come back to what you believe, and what drives your passion, Mm -hmm. and then decide how to move forward. And yes, we can be tactful. Yes, we can be gracious. We are supposed to be gracious, I believe. But we do have to stand for something. And I think that it is just an excuse for people to not stand for something when they say, oh, no, I think this way um, in private, but I will never say that in public. We can't do that because that's where people start to see hypocrisy and we won't reach those hearts and minds. We will not have an effect in our community if people just see the hypocrisy. Absolutely. We're blessed to have a senator here in South Carolina, former um, presidential candidate. I heard him say this uh, a couple months ago. Uh, he said, you know, when I, cause the question was posed, this was before he uh, got into the presidential race. And now of course we know that he suspended his campaign, but somebody asked Tim Scott, you know, cause you, you sound awfully preachy right now. Uh, you're quoting chapter and verse over and over again. He, and they asked, how are you going to do that when you run for president? Wink, wink, nod, nod because he hadn't yet declared. And he said, you know, I don't have to give chapter and verse to live out my faith, to, to give biblical principles. I right. can, I can go to a public uh, space. I can mm-hmm. enter into the arena and still portray and live out and even speak what I believe. I love that you mentioned that because it's extremely important important for people not to hold back. You know, I'm reminded of that children's song, hide under, under, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let my light shine. Um, I'm I'm so grateful that, that you bring that out because it's, it's extremely important for people to understand. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that we've done here in New Mexico in order to try to, um, show what we believe and not just say it, Uh, we found that there was really no uh, resource for women in our state to be able to go to, to see all of the options that they had before them Mm. outside of abortion. Um, All of the things, all of the support that our state offers, all of the um, assistance that they can get, all of the uh, pregnancy resource centers and the the free things that they can get to help them. I mean, they can get a crib, they can get a pack and play, they can get free childcare, they can get, I mean, there's so so many different things. And so we put together um, a website um, on actually on our website, we added a pregnancy resource page to show absolutely every resource, support, assistance, 
everything that is available to moms, to babies, Mm -hmm. to families, even with toddlers and young children, so that we are trying to show, hey, we're trying to support and we're trying to live out and give you everything we can to show you it's not just pro-birth, it is pro-life and it is a thriving family that we want to see and support. And hopefully, you know, our message that we give um, everywhere else also shines through in that resource page so that if a, uh, a young, you know, expecting mom finds that page and is, you know, led to all of these fantastic resources, she begins to see, hey, they're really, you know, saying and doing what they what they believe um, by providing everything that a mom might need or a family, uh, even a dad, the support that dads can get. So we're hoping that, you know, we are bold and continue to stand firm for what we believe, but by also giving that as practical means to people who may not share our faith. Absolutely. And we're, you know, a lot of similarities. It's crazy to think that there are a lot of similarities between what's happening in New Mexico and even what's happening in South Carolina. And that, you know, we're working with our 26 crisis pregnancy centers across the state uh, to make sure that families are provided for, just as you said. And by the way, you're not physically in the room with us, but welcome back to the state of South Carolina after going to Bob <laughs> Jones. You. I'm not going to let, yes, I'm not going to yes. let that go away. The fact oh, that, no. that you went to Bob Jones, because that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and glad to welcome you back to the state, even if it's just virtually, uh, oh, because thank you. even if you're only here for four or five years, some of us squeezed four years of college into four and a half, but for you. However, thank you. It was a, it was a struggle. However long, Enjoy life. however long you were here, you know, you're you're adopted. You are now a South Carolina. It's like being adopted into the family of God. You know, you're, yes, you're, you're now yes. one of us, whether you like it or not. You're from the land of enchantment. Welcome to God's country. That's it's just yes. correct. Hey, you know what? I love South Carolina. My husband was born in South Carolina. We got married. We started our, our family in South Carolina. So uh, South Carolinians. I'm, I'm, well, come on back I'm now. I'm a South Carolinian at heart. No, stay, no, stay in New Mexico. Yeah, and stay in, in New Mexico and fight. <laughs> yeah, stay in New... We would, we would love to have you back, but stay in New Mexico because we need people fighting the good fight uh, there as as in every... Gosh, is it 48 of the 50 states? Or is it all 50 states now that, that family policy uh, groups several, are in? Several. I don't, I don't know, think, I think exactly. there might be a few missing, yeah. but it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure that there is influence in every single state, but of course, I couldn't. I couldn't let a Bob Jones reference yeah, there you go. go before we got out of here. So, Jody Hendricks, thank you so much for joining us today. Obviously, to talk about a more a difficult topic yeah. when it comes to the Satanic Temple and abortion in general, but we appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. We want to thank Jody for joining us on the program today. Always a pleasure to have our colleagues join us to talk about some of these issues that might be not necessarily in our local wheelhouse, but uh, those that are very important. Justin, in your wildest dreams, did you ever think that inflation was your fault? No. I'm getting rather tired of the references. <laughs> oh, a I've got piece, a lot more. A new piece in The Atlantic by Annie Lowry lets us know the headline is, in fact, that inflation is not your fault. You would think with prices as high as they are, Americans would have tempered their enthusiasm for shopping of late, you know, because it's not Christmas or anything. They would have pulled back spending on luxury items. They would have sought out budget and basic options, bought smaller packages, fewer things. But that's not what's happened. Consumer spending rose 0.2% in October. Online shopping joined 7.8% over the Thanksgiving long weekend. That's because of Black Friday deals. Yeah, that, that oddly enough started on 
Thanksgiving Monday. The sales of new cars, dishwashers, cruise vacations, jewelry, all things people tend to give up when they are watching their budget remain strong. People hate inflation, just not enough to spend less. This is one of the cultural tensions of central tensions of today's economy in which things are going great. Things are going great. It's really great. (laughs) Apparently... But everyone is miserable. Everything's fine. Everyone's miserable. Everything's great, but everyone's miserable. And you know what? In some ways, Americans have nobody to blame but themselves. Three years ago, the pandemic gnarled supply chains around the world. And before, before COVID, no one could even tell you what a supply chain was. At the same time, the American government transferred roughly $1.8 trillion to households in the forms of generous... Generous unemployment insurance benefits and amped up child tax credit, STEMI checks, and delayed or forgiven student loan payments. Less supply, more demands. It was a recipe for higher costs. Mm. Sticker shock is real. And in surveys, (laughs) people say that they are trading down because of cost pressures. But in fact, they're spending more than they ever have. Well, it's... Yeah. It's because things are more expensive. Yeah, I, I agree. Yes, and I, I've got you know I've got anecdotal evidence of that that I'll talk about in just a second. However, there is something, and we talked about this. I believe it was Friday, Justin. Might have been. We talked about the number one indicator of consumer debt in America is credit card debt. Credit card, and debt. it's the largest source of I believe outside of mortgages. It may even be greater than mortgages. Um, credit card debt is at an all time high. And it's dangerous. I'm not going full Dave Ramsey on you. Um, but I, I think it's important for us to understand that it is important to rein in what you spend and how you spend. But I don't know, Justin, that the Atlantic's taking a leap here and saying inflation is your fault because you're spending money. And if we'd all just stop spending money. If you stop spending money, if you'd stop buying things, you'd have nothing and you'd be happy about it. <laughs> People want to blame Joe Biden for their bills. Well, it depends on what bills. I mean, if you racked up a bunch of credit card debt partially on him, but mostly on you, you need to make wiser uh, financial decisions in some cases. But at the same point, people are having to live on the credit card limit right now. Yeah. Because Uh, of the economy. They want to accuse stores of gouging them. No one's one's accusing stores of gouging them. That's the, the, the Biden administration is saying that Stores are gouging people at prices. Have you? No one said that. Have you? Uh, and uh, I don't. I try not to do this often. Have you been to a fast food drive-through lately? It's been a while. Uh, leaving youth the other night. Um, you know, my eleven-year-old was starving. Sure. Um, Always when you're in the car, right? Of course. And so he's like, uh, "Can we stop by McDonald's on the way home?" And I was like, sure, absolutely. I was like, I'll get him a 10-piece ten, ten chicken McNugget. I know. Combo help. meal or just combo, the entree? Combo meal. Combo meal, 10-piece McNugget, combo. You're looking at uh, $11? Yes. I, am I old enough? guess, if I'm a, Am I old enough to... Oh, and of course, he had to upgrade to the Icy. Um, Naturally. Which, yeah. Huh. Only, only the best when, in health cause, standards. Because when you know, you're alone with dad, you get away with a little bit more. Sure. Um, yikes. I, am I old enough to remember when a ten piece chicken McNugget meal with fries and a drink was like six seven, or seven, seven bucks. bucks? So Subway, wow. fam, uh, two people at Subway getting <clears throat> sandwich, chip, drink. Not even the cookie. Really wanted the cookie, but stayed away. Uh, Thirty four dollars for so two my, sandwiches and chips and my drink. Fifteen dollar gift card to 
Subway. It's going to get you a sandwich. Maybe. And only you Whatever a happened to the $5 foot long? That went away when Jared went away. Um, <laughs> the strange truth, uh, Annie wraps it up. The strange truth is that most wow. people really are in a more comfortable position. Well, that's not true. Because we know that on average, to stay at your same comfort level economically and your same comfortable standard of living, you need to have $11,000 more in the bank yes. right now. A ten thousand if you're in the if you're in the state of South Carolina. So she's saying that most people are really in a more comfortable position, even if they're not happy about it. It's not like a weak economy, stagnant wages, crummy consumer spending, and cheaper stuff would be better. Wait, it. Wait, I'm sorry. Uh, cheaper stuff wouldn't be better. By the way, I'm just gonna let you in a little secret here. When 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 goods are cheaper, people will buy more of the good. Yes. Am Which, I going into basic macroeconomics here? Uh, ish, ish. We have a deep, flawed understanding of things. Final, final thing on the show today. He's been so excited. So, for so this. if you're in the market for a cardigan, make sure you go out and get it soon. Jeez. Ah, I, he's getting into ones I don't know now. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Kevin Monin, an opinion piece in the Hill. I just learned about this before the show. So did I. Like, <laughs> this is no show prep on this one. Miss Americana, how Taylor Swift. Could save Joe Biden. Does she know CPR? <laughs> Does she know how to work Is with a defibrillator? You've been defibrillated. Hey, did you did you see him on the ladder putting up the Christmas decorations? Get that man off of ladders. Don't let him anywhere near stairs. Hey, Don't let him anywhere near elevators. He's escalators. He's vim, vip, full of vip and vigor. He's he's vapid, if anything. He's spunky. Taylor Swift epitomizes contemporary superstardom with unparalleled popularity and an immense following. I agree with that. As 2024 approaches, the singer could play a pivotal role for democracy by securing the, nom the re-election of President Biden and ending the political career of former President Donald Trump. Fueled by her extensive collection of infectious songs and a dedicated fan base, her era's tour, recent album releases, and blossoming romance with NFL superstar Travis Kelsey. Woo! He's not a NFL superstar. Yeah. He's a star. He's not a superstar. He's not a quarterback. Settle down. Swift will be leading whoa, a... Whoa, whoa. By the way, the Chiefs just lost to the Packers in Lambeau. What? That's it? The Packers... Stop. NFL parody. Stop it. NFL parody. The Packers are not one of the best teams even in the NFC. Swift will be a leading figure in popular culture throughout 2024. Beyond her economic impact... <laughs> what? Look what you made me do. Swift's untapped... <laughs> I had to get that one in there. ...political influence should not be underestimated. Swift has demonstrated her ability to mobilize her overwhelmingly young, millennial and Gen Z, fan base, encouraging them to invest in merchandise, concert tickets, and albums. In 2024, she may leverage this influence to guide them to the polls, building on her previous, and sometimes tepid, forays into politics. Last November, she urged to her 272 million followers to register to vote, yeah. resulting in more than 35,000 registrations after she shared a link to the nonpartisan vote.org. Mm -hmm. The organization reposted or reported that a 1,226% increase in participation was on its website following the post by Swift. It's not the first time she entered the political arena. In 2018, midterm elections, she openly endorsed Tennessee Democrats because she highlighted her concerns about Republican Marsha Blackburn's voting record on the issues of equal pay for women and same-sex marriage. There is no such thing as a gender pay gap. We move on. The increased significance of the issue of abortion access in the upcoming election could increase the likelihood that Swift will use her influence to point fans toward her preferred candidate, providing crucial support for Biden. Because naturally, Taylor Swift is a... Is a 
How old's Taylor Swift? Uh, she's 33 years old. She's about to celebrate a <laughs> birthday. Uh, for those of you Swifties out there, you'll know in nine days. She's, celebra- she's turning 34 years old. In nine days. On December the 13th. Recent polls Woo. indicate some challenges for Joe Biden. A CNN poll suggests that one year out, Trump leads Biden 49 to 45. Of particular concern is Biden's poor performance with voters aged 18 to 34. Although a full-throated endorsement may not turn Swifties into die-hard Biden supporters, a Swift endorsement could inspire many to vote for what they perceive as the lesser of two evils. A man who, <laughs> although a relic of another era, will fight to protect access to abortion. Is that what this is all about? Taylor Swift is a woman, so naturally she should want to kill children. Is that is that the... You know, it's a, it's the basic maternal instinct, right? I think so. Yikes, sorry. If Swift throws her considerable cultural weight around in the 2024 election, she should do so. She should do so strategically. He said there is certainly a spectrum of involvement. An interesting glimpse into such considerations can be found in her 2019 documentary *Miss Americana*, in which she contemplates the impact of taking a public political stance on her career. Mm. A more conservative approach to improving the likelihood of a Biden win may involve general nationwide call to vote. A more aggressive intervention could be a complete and total endorsement of President Biden, potentially accompanied by joint appearances or participation in private fundraisers. The most effective strategy might be a calculated campaign to boost voter turnout in key swing states such as Pennsylvania, Minnesota, and Georgia. Given the narrow margin of victory required in such swing states, Swift's impact could be significant. For for context, Trump's combined 2016 margin of victory in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan was 79,316 votes. At one Pittsburgh concert in June, Swift broke the stadium's attendance record with 73,117 fans on hand. This is assuming that all Taylor Swift fans are liberal. Well, and I, I think there's a couple factors that have to go into the thought here. And, and I'll talk about that in just a second. This is your classic rock the vote. I mean, that's this has been happening since the mid '90s. I remember. Yeah, um, this is yeah, this is the thing that liberals think that if we get enough rock stars it, yeah, yes. and and TV stars out, well, people will vote. Mid '90s, early thousands, you had the West Wing, and they did their thing the with. West Wing. I, I love it. You know, Aaron Sorkin, great. You know, whether you like love or leave, Jedediah Bartlett, uh, it just it was great for political nerds. Um, and they, they talked a lot about rock the vote during that election cycle. I believe it was the 2000 election. Maybe in the, no, it was 2000. Um, and what we, I am all for people voting. You know, it, it's a, I, I think, think certain people shouldn't be able to vote. Uh, <laughs> I, I, more on that later. Um, a little bad blood there. Um, <clears throat> maybe it's a love story. I don't know. Um, I think it's important for you to be informed when you do that. Correct. That's so if you're voting for someone because T Swizzle said to, see what I did there. Use your own. Hey, you know what? It's your vote. It's your constitutional right. If that informs your decision, then that informs your decision. You know, and I've had people over the years, Mitch, who should I vote for? The the candidate you believe best represents your values. The one who promotes biblical values. The, you know, we don't vote people or party. We vote principle. We vote platform. We don't vote popularity. We vote on values. And that's extremely important. So just because Taysway says you need to vote for um, Travis Kelsey for president, you know, I, I, I don't I don't think that's a good idea. So if you're um, 17 and somebody tells you, wait, no. You can't vote for 17. Uh, well, if you're 17 right now. If you're 17 right now, you could, well, depends on when your birthday yeah. falls. If you're 17 and 
you know, T Money. I think I've thrown how enough many, of those. I was about to say, oh. how many nicknames does Taylor Swift have? Oh, a bunch. I make them up as I go. Um, do you know she's in the Lorax, by the way? In, interesting. Turn back to our thing about climate change earlier. Um, whew, uh, and she tells you who to vote for. Do your due diligence. Don't don't vote for someone just because somebody said. You yeah. know, find who aligns with your values. And if you don't put this out there, if you don't have biblical and family values, you may want to consider your worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, I mean, I think it's been a gosh. Do it, do it. He's going to join the fun. I think it's been a cruel summer for everyone. I think most people want Taylor Swift to look at Joe Biden and say, you know, you belong with me. And She's got a blank space, though. She She might write his name. And then she wants Joe Biden to belong with her and then look at Donald Trump and say that, you know, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. Uh, There's a whole video from Congress of this happening. It's very, very bad. So So what this author what this opinion piece is encouraging people to do is to shake it off look at taylor swift and say wherever you go oh great leader we will go as well whatever you want us to do oh mighty one we shall do we bow the knee to you and your public endorsement um you know and if listen if taylor swift endorses joe biden full throat and that propels joe biden to a win in november of 2024 then well, that'll be the reason for the teardrops on my guitar. That's all the time we have today. We are never on our Monday ever edition. Getting back together. <laughs> By the way, today is Monday, December fourth, in the year of our Lord two thousand twenty-three. Dang! I just want to mention that before we get out of here. Good. Good. Until later on this week, thank you all for joining us. Thank Jody Hendricks for joining us as well. For Mitch Prosser, I'm Justin Hall. Thank you so much for watching and listening to the fastest growing and strongest conservative talk show in the state of South Carolina, the Palmetto Family Matters Show.